Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. We've done a few episodes on Tencent now. I mean, it was actually the subject for our very first long-form episode. Remember when we used to try to cram in two stories per episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, but then we produced episode five, Has Tencent Lost Its Mojo, and love that so much we've been sticking to the one in-depth story every time. Right. If you haven't listened to that one, you really should, because it gives a ton of background on how Tencent has changed over the years, especially the last five years. Hint, it wasn't always viewed with the same benign and high regard that it commands today. There was a core strategic shift, the reverberations of which are being felt right now, or so many people think. I should also point listeners to episode 9, which was on Tencent's War with Totia, also known as ByteDance. It's also a key reason for Tencent's price slump this year. And actually, that's what we're going to talk about today. While it seems like just yesterday that we were celebrating both Alibaba and Tencent exceeding half a trillion dollars in market cap, that's not so much the case anymore, not for Tencent anyway. Yup, Tencent accomplished that feat last November, and Alibaba followed two months later. But less than a year later, Tencent finds itself with a stock price of 354 Hong Kong dollars, or only about 430 billion US dollars in market cap. That's still very respectable, obviously, but it's a far cry from the $570 billion market cap that it had just this January. Of course, let's not diminish the greater macro market conditions, too. U.S. tech stocks, Fain, or Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google, have done actually pretty well with only Facebook down for the year. But the Hang Seng Index, indicator for the Hong Kong Stock Exchange, were Tencent, and now also Xiaomi are both listed, is actually down almost 10% for the year. Sure, but even taking that into account, Tencent has done far worse than the market. $140 billion of market value was wiped out, or a 25% drop from its peak. I mean, that's like 10 Snapchats, 6 Twitters, or 3 JDs. What happened here? Let's find out. The president's key economic team goes to China. Uh, after whole night banking, I say I still want to do it. Hi, everyone. We are Tech Buzz China by Pan Daily, powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. We are a new weekly podcast focused on giving you a peek into what's buzzing within the tech community in China. We uncover and contextualize unique insights, perspectives, and takeaways on headline tech news that don't always make it into English language coverage, so you can be smarter about the world of China tech. Tech Buzz China is a part of Pandaily.com, a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. I'm one of your two co-hosts, Ying Ying Lu. 
And I'm your other co-host, Ray Ma. Shout out to our listeners who've written in, Paul Wade, Justin Wei, and Lee Gao, who you'll actually hear from later in this episode, and to all of those who continue to give us constructive feedback. If you enjoy listening to us, please take the time to leave us a rating or review on iTunes, Facebook, or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's review. Back in April, just barely over one quarter ago, the 45 analysts who rated Tencent, according to Factset, still gave it a target price of 523 Hong Kong dollars. Now you ask, what does that mean? Well, it means that they were expecting it to get to a market cap of about 630 billion. Obviously, that wasn't actually what happened, as we're now at 200 billion dollars away from that target price. Well, what did happen? A lot of people are blaming it on Tencent's Q2 results when they announced a 2% drop in earnings and lagged behind consensus estimates for revenue as well. It was the first fall in profit in nearly 13 years. Were Tencent's results so bad, though? Not if you look at it in isolation. Q2 2018 revenues grew 30% year on year. Operating margins, though, did go down a lot, from 40 to 30 and net margins similarly decreased from 32 to 25. But that still means for Q2 2018, Tencent made $2.7 billion. For perspective, it's usually somewhere between Alibaba and Facebook, two other companies around the half trillion dollar market cap range. But it is bad if you look at its gaming results. And in China, Tencent has been equated with gaming. If you're in gaming, chances are you've heard of Mark Ren and the 350% that describe his importance and status in the industry, the percentages being, number one, gaming revenues account for more than 50% of Tencent revenues, it also has over 50% of market share in China, and it has profit margins of over 50%. And for the most part, he has held on to them. In 2017, Tencent had total revenues of about $35 billion, and of those, according to market research from Newzoo, $18 billion were from games. So I guess that's over 50%, right? And you know what else was $35 billion? China's entire video game market, according to Statista anyway. Tencent's gaming revenues is almost double that of second-place Sony and three times as much as sixth-place NetEase. In gaming, Tencent is absolutely the 800-pound gorilla in the room, globally. And that's all due to Mark Ren, or Ren Yuxin. He joined Tencent in 2000 as one of its first employees and was promoted to COO in 2012. Mark now leads four out of Tencent's seven business groups, the Interactive Entertainment Group, Mobile Internet Group, Social Network Group, and Online Media Group, which has the abbreviation of OMG. Anyways, that's basically everything at Tencent because all that's left are the corporate development group and the WeChat group, which we know is separately managed by Alan Jang. The last group is technology and engineering, which is R&D and operations. Mark is a cool dude. He's made some non-obvious choices in his career. After graduating college in 1998, he joined Huawei as an engineer. At the time, Huawei wasn't nearly as big as it is today, but still, it was a really risky move to leave and join itty-bitty Tencent. At Tencent, he wanted to take on engineering challenges. However, Tencent co-founder Tony Zhang felt that his other significant talents would be wasted and refused to let him join the QQ servers team. 
Or maybe he just wasn't a good engineer and Tony was too polite to tell him. Kidding, let's uphold the urban legend. Anyways, as Mark did more management, he was faced with a choice in 2003 or so to join the value-added services team, which at the time mostly consisted of teleco projects and made up the bulk of 10 cents revenues at the time, or to join the newer gaming division. Ever the risk taker, he decided to go for the latter. Well, I know what you're thinking, but it wasn't quite as simple as, oh, let's pick the smaller and more nimble team where I can make the bigger impact. Actually, the gaming team at the time had just gone through layoffs, and it was a totally dismal place to be. It wasn't just starting from zero. It was like starting from negative. And for the first two years, Mark really struggled. Tencent Gaming was consistently first and second place from the bottom. But when you're that low, there's nowhere to go but up, right? In 2005, Mark's group was ranked number eight in the industry in China. And we know where it is now. In the just-reported Q2 results, games brought in $3.7 billion of revenue, up 6% year-on-year. Yes, that's just games alone. But investors were likely disappointed because in the past three years, the entire market has been growing 20% annually. In Tencent's defense, though, the market is actually expected to slow down significantly this year to just 5%. But don't let that measly 5% fool you. China is still a huge and hugely profitable market. Here are a few stats, by the way, that might astound you. For example, even at such low growth, the Chinese gaming market is going to be nearly $38 billion this year, far ahead of the number two market, the United States, which is only about 30. There are also over 600 million gamers in China. That's almost half the population. And 60% of the revenues will be coming from mobile. What's really crazy, though, is that for the urban players, that's those in the Tier 1 and Tier 2 cities of China, 94% of them have bought in-game items in the last six months. What? No wonder when I play against Chinese people, I'm always losing. I'm too stingy to pay for items while they're spending very freely. Don't forget that two-thirds of Chinese gamers also watch eSports. Tencent is well-positioned there, having invested in the recently IPO'd Huya, a game streaming platform. Tencent has been pretty consistent about investing in esports and estimates that by 2020, almost 60% of global esport users will be Chinese. I think we can credit Mark with a lot of this foresight. Now, we don't know if Mark is a gamer like Pony, and that's why he's so good at this stuff. But we do know is that industry insiders attribute much of his success to being a master recruiter. He's revered for his patience, engaging for years before going in for the kill. Seriously. He's known for multi-hour interviews. Apparently, he conducted a 10-hour interview once. And he also likes to test a candidate outside of the office to get greater insight into their character. So, it's no wonder that when the first sign of trouble came about in the beginning of 2017, with the steep upward climb of Toutiao, Mark was asked to take over. Sure, in the press release, it was made to seem like Malaysian S.Y. Lao Liu Shenyi, who had previously been president of OMG, was promoted to chairman of Tencent Advertising Group Marketing and Global Branding. But actually, it was probably a demotion. Well, it wasn't that he did a bad job. The last year under his rule, OMG had grown over 50% and accounted for 18% of Tencent's revenues. But it was also true that in the announcement of his so-called promotion, 
the management specifically mentioned quote-unquote greater algorithmic breakthroughs as the next step for the company. Many took it to mean that Pony wasn't happy with the lack of technological advances while S.Y. Lau was at the helm versus Total's aggressive data-driven approach. However, as much as Mark Starr continues to shine brightly in gaming, I'm not sure he's really made a dent versus Toutiao. In fact, Quest Mobile's latest monthly results show that Tencent's share of total mobile usage time in China decreased from 54% to 48% from June 2017 to the same month in this year. And who accounted for basically all of that 6% loss? ByteDance's family of apps, which include Toutiao, Douyin, and a few others. As we've already mentioned and covered in episode 9, Tencent is obviously very, very worried. But recently, some analysts have voiced the concern that it's not just a technological issue, but a company structure issue that keeps Tencent behind. Yes, it's true that ByteDance has something like 800 data scientists, whereas Tencent has far less. But the crucial difference seems to be that whereas ByteDance has an open-door data sharing policy across its multiple apps, Tencent's apps are siloed by department and data aren't shared freely, according to insiders at least. For example, WeChat's ads are supposedly sold by the advertising group and not the WeChat group. Presumably, the two groups have different data on their users, as well as different objectives. That's just what we're reading. But it does sound believable based on Tencent's widely covered Saima Jizhi, or Horse Race Protocol, where basically multiple internal teams are working on the same product and the best one wins. Obviously, the teams are competitive with each other, not cooperative. It might sound redundant, but this is actually how WeChat was created. It's precisely this kind of lack of deep data integration that's speculated as being behind the reason why Starbucks left WeChat for Alibaba and Ulama. So WeChat actually cooperated with Starbucks first. The BD team did a ton of work and made the deal happen, but it stayed at the relatively superficial level of WeChat payments in Starbucks stores, as well as a mini app. With the recent Alibaba and Ulama delivery deal, however, Starbucks is apparently willing to share one of its most important assets, its entire China membership database. That's kind of ironic, given that back in 2014, Tencent's vision had been rebranded as Lianjie Yijie, or to connect everything. Remember, even back then, Tencent had the vision of an open IoT platform where you could connect everything to WeChat. Of course, WeChat's core functionality already connected people to each other, but it had grander dreams of connecting people to everything else, whether it be information in the form of official accounts or vendors, both online and offline, in the form of payments. These days, even more connections are made through mini-apps, or applets, as they're sometimes called. These xiaochengxu connect the users to other apps and services, often big platforms such as DD or JD. But apparently, while Tencent connects the user to many of its own products and services, those products and services are not connected to each other. I think the insight here is that in an increasingly AI and algorithm-driven world where data is king, Tencent's method of creating product may no longer work as well as it has in the past. In the past, innovations in design or functionality might have been more important. But in today's world, ByteDance's system, where data is not siloed and there is no internal competition, might reign supreme. 
Maybe that's a slight oversimplification, but I think it's still a really important theme to think about going forward. That is indeed an issue, right? But I think it's too subtle for most public market investors to react to in the short term. In the short term, Tencent has other problems. Most notably, it's issues getting games approved to be distributed in China. Well, technically, in some cases, they're actually already available to play, but Tencent can only operate them in "quote unquote" public beta mode, which means that it cannot monetize off of them. So that's not really helpful. The first piece of news that the market reacted to was how Tencent had to pull the game Monster Hunter World from its Wii game platform after launching it earlier in August. This game is made by Capcom of Japan and has been a massive hit outside of China. Tencent had bought the rights and was hoping to distribute it on the mainland. Two other games that might be even bigger hits are also delayed. One is Player Unknown's Battlegrounds, commonly referred to as PUBG or PUBG, and the other is Fortnite. For the creators of both of those games, Tencent has distribution rights as well as an equity stake. It owns 11.5% of PUBG creator Bluehole and 40% of Fortnite creator Epic Games. So it's not like they're not benefiting from the games' popularity outside of China, but that's obviously small stakes compared to what they could be earning if the games were greenlit for distribution domestically. In a rare acknowledgement by Tencent management, President Martin Lau said that these instances were beyond the company's control. China's General Administration of Press and Publication, which is the regulatory body governing such decisions, is apparently in some kind of shakeup, as reported by Bloomberg. So everyone is affected, not just Tencent. People actually started covering this a few months back. Folks such as Ben Thompson of Strategy back in April, but it really caught everyone's attention this month when major media outlets such as Bloomberg made a big deal out of it. Because this particular move got so much attention, though, we decided to ask a friend of ours who's also an expert. Lee, could you introduce yourself? Hi, my name's Lee Gao, and I help run the Emerging Market Sustainable Growth Fund at GCA. For full disclosure, our fund does hold a position in Naspers, which owns about a third of Tencent. But hey, that's why I follow it. As with any investor, Lee's opinions are his own and do not represent those of his fund, GCA. Anyways. What's interesting here is that Lee, you said this has happened before. So yeah, we've actually seen this nine years ago. One of the few analysts out there who had also been covering the space back then, and honestly, there aren't that many left now. His name is Han Jun Kim at Deutsche Bank, and he noted in a report that these exact same delays happened during another regulatory changeover back then, and they took six months to resolve. So since the delays started around April or May this time, we should be done by September or October if everything goes according to schedule. And again, China is not banning all games; it's just bureaucracy, and it's bad luck. Yeah, and Tencent is especially unlucky because PUBG is Korean, right? As you may know, Beijing and Seoul had been having a little bit of a tiff for over a year. Over the Thad missile defense system that was being installed by the U.S. and South Korea, that's been getting resolved since President Moon Jae-in got elected last year with a much more conciliatory stance towards both North Korea and China. But it's not quite completely over yet, so you can chalk that particular delay up to bad luck as well. And there's actually more bad luck because Tencent had already launched PUBG before Chinese regulators started what they call a green channel. Kind of like a soft approval process to temporarily let games monetize for a month, 
to bypass what even they acknowledge are pretty annoying delays. But because PUBG was already out before the screen channel concept came out, Tencent can't retroactively put it through the green channel and start monetizing it by charging for items in the game, even though it's Tencent's biggest mobile game now. So it's basically really, really bad luck. All right, fair enough. Tencent might need to hire a new feng shui master. This does indeed seem out of their control. But what can Tencent do now? So in the meantime, Tencent can either just wait for the backlog to clear, or they can be proactive. And obviously, being Tencent, they're being pretty proactive. One of the creative things they're doing is giving away items in PUBG if you take up a Tencent video membership, kind of like their Netflix or Amazon Prime Video. It's not really monetizing PUBG directly, so it steers clear of any regulatory issues. And it also helps other parts of their business. And the fact that they can do this is one of the biggest reminders that Tencent is so much more than a game company. Games today are only around 40% of Tencent's revenue, and that was probably going to fall even more, even without these regulatory delays, as ads and payments and cloud keep growing. Incidentally, this cross-promotion between Tencent Video and PUBG runs until late September, which happens to be around six months after the regulatory delay started. So you got to think, what a coincidence. Super, super insightful. Thanks for that, Lee. I know, guys, that it seems like the Chinese government is so pro-tech and protective of its internet giants. But I think this serves as a good reminder that in China, you can never predict what the government does. And it doesn't even really matter, even if you're as large as Tencent. The government will do what it does. But I do think I agree with Lee here that this seems to be a temporary blip. Yeah, the company's stock price was already pretty low prior to the announcement, and while it dropped on the news, it wasn't by that much, about 3.7% or so. I do still think there's a fundamental adjustment of how people are looking at Tencent's overall strategy. In episode 5 of our podcast, titled Has Tencent Lost Its Mojo?, Ray and I talked about how some feared that Tencent had stopped generating its own hits and was overly reliant on investments for growth. The original impetus of that, of course, was Tencent trying to escape its reputation as a copycat of other people's products. But apparently, that's now turned out to be too self-limiting. The strategy used to be to go after everything. But now it's more like Tencent will stick to know what it knows best and support partners who are good at the rest. Some analysts, though, think that this means Tencent has dropped the ball on several major opportunities. The most notable one is Weishi, the short video product that might have been a strong competitor to ByteDance's Douyin, but was effectively shut down and had to be revived with promises of over $400 million in promotional subsidies. Honestly, I feel bad for Pony and Tencent. It's a little bit of damned if you do, damned if you don't. I mean, you clone and expand your business and people call you a thief. Or you invest liberally and shut down controversial apps and people are like, you've become soft and useless and complacent. And this is where I think investors are just fickle. I mean, they didn't blink an eye when Martin Lau said as recently as March that the reason Tencent did so well in 2017 was because of, quote, investment we made years ago, unquote. And he was widely applauded for that. 
I guess no one really picks at you when you're up for the year and outpacing the index, but as soon as you're down, boy, do they find every bone to pick with you, including the very investment strategy that got you to the top in the first place. Anyways, some of you might be wondering why we didn't talk about WeChat so much in this episode. Well, the truth is that WeChat has continued to do well, and it is the bright spot right now in Tencent, not the cause of its price drop. It's also way too big and complicated to sneak into this episode, and absolutely deserves its own analysis. But it is true that Tencent will not be able to make money from funds held in WeChat pay wallets anymore. Yeah, it used to be that companies could take customer deposits and invest them for a return. But now, in an effort to control risk and in what I think is the right decision, the Chinese government has required, beginning in April, that payments platforms like Ant Financial and Tencent keep a 50% reserve ratio. You know, they're not banks and shouldn't be playing around with user balances. Recently, the government further announced that reserves will go up to 100% by next January. That means there will be no more money to be made from customer balances and third-party payment platforms. Honestly, though, that doesn't really affect Tencent very much. It's just not a big part of Tencent's revenues right now. All right, Ying, shall we wrap it up? Yeah, I think we've gone over most of it by now. I would just like to leave our listeners with one more little story, though. What's that? You know, during the course of researching the story, I learned that Pony doesn't play Honor of Kings, Tencent's hit multiplayer online battle arena game of 2017, but apparently he is a big fan of the battle royale game PUBG, which we talked about in detail earlier. In Chinese, though, it's called 吃鸡游戏, which literally means eating chicken game. Apparently, that comes from the line in the game where you get in the where, apparently that comes from the line in the game when you win. 大吉大利,晚上吃鸡, which actually comes from the English winner, winner, chicken dinner. That is so, so weird. Yeah, tell me about it. Anyways, my point here is that it seems like Pony, who's generally considered Mr. Nice Guy, Mr. Soft-Spoken Nerdy Guy, is a lot more competitive than we think. Interesting. Whereas Leiji likes to play the much more team-oriented World of Warcraft, PUBG, on the other hand, that game requires you to kill everyone else and be the last remaining survivor at all costs. Kind of explains the internal competitiveness, too, within Tencent. Hey, maybe it's just one big battle royale game to Pony and team. Well, can the Tencent team do it? Will they get the chicken dinner? I mean, the $140 billion back. What do you guys think? Let us know your thoughts by tweeting at us at at TechBuzzChina. We'd like to give a shout out to our partners at SubChina. In addition to our podcast here with Pandaily, they publish the excellent Seneca podcast, a weekly discussion of current affairs on China with journalists, writers, academics, policymakers, and business people. So while we only focus on tech, they really give you the entire overview. Go check them out, guys. Okay, that's all for this week, folks. Thank you for listening. We really enjoyed putting this together, and we're always open to any comments or suggestions. You can find us on Twitter at ThePanDaily. That's spelled T-H-E-P-A-N-D-A-I-L-Y. And my personal Twitter account is G-I-N-Y-G-I-N-Y. 
And my Twitter is spelled R-U-I-M-A. We'll be back here same time next week. Tech Buzz China by Pandaily is powered by the Seneca Podcast Network. Pandaily.com is a new English language site that tells you everything about China's innovation. Our producers are Carol Yin and Kaiser Guo. Our interns are Scott Du and Wang Meng Lu. 